Hey folks, it's Doug Thornell, and welcome to another episode of The Electables. As always, I'm joined by my producer, Michael Peliquin. Michael, how you doing? It's been a couple weeks since we we last talked. How you holding up? That's right. I'm doing well still. Um, yeah, doesn't feel like two weeks have passed, but uh, yeah, doing well. Just trying to uh, stay positive. <laughs> Does it seem like it's been two months or two years or two days? Maybe closer to two years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hear you. But uh, but yeah, we're, we're less than 90 days away from the election, so things are heating up. Yeah, I was having a conversation with a, a buddy of mine yesterday about just about the craziness of time and how, you know, especially in this COVID era, when you think back when all this started in March, you know, how it, it, it seems like it was two years ago. Yeah. You know, and, but at the same time, we're at the beginning, we're already at the beginning of August, we're approaching the conventions. And it's and so while it seems like it was a long time ago, um, we're still sort of, like, I'm still just shocked that we're, you know, two weeks out from the Democratic convention. Completely. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a complete um, messes with your mind a little bit. But uh, but yeah, we are we are moving along through 2020. It'll it'll be over before we know it. Yeah, and um, a lot of uh, a lot of news on the presidential race. Obviously, it's uh, every day there's a new development. We're awaiting uh, the announcement of uh, Vice President Biden's running mate. That could be any day now. Um, he's indicated in the past that it will be a woman, and it looks like. The, uh, the majority of the finalists are black women. Um, so, um, you know, there, there is obviously the histor- historic announcement that could be made if he, if he selects a black woman to be his running mate. Um, and uh, we also had news that the campaign announced a massive um, television advertising uh, buy, uh, $280 million dollars across both TV and digital, um, which uh, Biden campaign manager General Mally Dillon uh, said was the largest presidential campaign advertising time reservation in history. Um, and when I heard when I read this, it uh, it dawned on me that one of the areas of the campaign, uh, one of the areas of campaign tactics and strategy that we haven't covered yet, Uh, is the whole art and science behind media buying. Um, And so I thought, who better to come on the electables than two of my friends uh, from the uh, media buying firm Assembly, um, Will Floor, who is uh, one of the directors of strategy there. Uh, He serves as um, an account lead at Assembly, Will and his team provide clients with guidance on planning, audience insights, media mix, and stewardship through execution, campaign reporting, and optimization. Previously, he was the paid media lead uh, with Mike Bloomberg's 2020 presidential campaign, overseeing, overseeing uh, nearly $500 million in spend during the 2020 primary uh, across 14 different uh, media channels in 28 different states. And uh, Laura Kalapalil, who is a, a senior vice president at Assembly, she focuses on uh, buying local media across both TV and radio, as well as digital platforms. Um, 
her uh, career client roster includes retail, entertainment, uh, multicultural categories. Uh, she's also now deeply involved in the political arm of assembly. Uh, and most notably, she was responsible for um, Mike Bloomberg's local media campaign uh, advertising strategy, uh, which also included recruiting and training staff of political buyers. Um, so we've got two uh, of the uh, uh, best here on uh, the on the electables, and um, uh, we're happy to sort of dive in here. And and Laura and Will, thank you for uh, joining us. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Doug. Excited to be here. So we uh, and I've worked with Will and I've worked with Laura on a number of campaigns, and they they really are um, uh, just two of the best and. Um, uh, I wanted to, um, have them on to sort of take us behind the curtain of what media buying is. And so I'll throw this out to either one of you to start. What exactly is a media buyer for our, uh, listeners? Um, yeah, I can answer that question. So a media buyer works with various media vendors. Um, they negotiate the pricing of the ads, they place the ads, they decide where's the best, um, areas for placement. And that's across a particular media market, or it could be a national campaign. Um, that would be for TV or radio, uh, outside of broadcast, the buyers also buy out of home and digital. Um, the buyer also will analyze ratings trends, just seeing um, how are the ratings looking in a particular area, in a particular market, and it's their job to predict, you know, where is that trend going in the future based on all the marketplace knowledge that they have. Um, they're also responsible for stewardship of a media buy. So once a media buy is placed, there could be changes along the way. The client asks for revisions, or maybe there are program changes. So they have to manage that. If spots are preempted, they have to um, work on getting them back in. Um, and then they're also just overall responsible for understanding the landscape and the culture of each media market and understanding, you know, the amount of cable penetration and the coverage of cable, as well as the media consumption in general. And you, your firm assembly worked very closely on the Bloomberg campaign. So um, before we get into the Bloomberg campaign, well, can you just take us through how you work with campaigns um, specifically? Like, what is that relationship like? Um, who do you primarily deal with? Yeah, absolutely. So a typical campaign will come to us um, with, uh, you know, depending on on the race, whether it's a statewide race, a district level race, um, asking for guidance on, you know, what kind of media mix should we be looking at? Um, what is the voter composition across the media markets, uh, depending on the size of the race? Um, what kind of levels um, in terms of either spot loads across broadcast and cable? or impressions in digital that are going to be able to allow uh, for campaign messages to break through. So we, you know, looking at digital specifically, make sure depending on the size of the race, um, that we're reaching at least 50% of the audience, as an, as an example, three to five times a week. And obviously, that can depend um, very much so on um, the size of the race, um, the amount of time and the amount of messages available um, to help build up awareness of the candidate um, and for the campaign going into into their elections. Um, so that's at a very high level where we start. And then depending on um, how many channels we move forward with, um, we help with advertisers set up across uh, 
TV and digital, um, pushing various audiences for activation in digital as needed, and then also reporting um, on the television digital side. Uh, with TV, we have a, a report we, we've dubbed the Pointorama, which helps campaigns uh, track their, their point accumulations on television. Um, we help provide guidance on when um, rotating in new spots makes sense, um, how many points we need to support multiple messages in market, um, and come up with a messaging uh, strategy uh, in partnership with the campaign. So if, if we're brought in very early, you know, we're, we're very um, collaborative and um, there day to day to help the campaign uh, maximize their investments in media um, and, and give their candidates the best shot uh, to, to win their elections. So you, you mentioned the uh, point and uh, for for our listeners who may not be familiar with, uh, you know, the industry uh, jargon, explain to us when it's reported that a campaign is airing 2000 points of advertising on television, what exactly does that mean? Well, this can vary by market. It really depends on the size of the market and their readings. But on average, if you were to buy 2000 points in any given media market in a week, that's basically saying you're running one spot per hour throughout the entire course of the day between 5am and 1am. One spot every hour on every major affiliate in that market. And that's pretty much in most areas what 2000 points would look like. Right. And at the end of that flight period, um, and the flight is the term that you, we use for the for the for the, the the length of the buy. So if it's a one week flight um, and it's 2000 points, which would be a heavy buy, right? 2000 points yes. is a pretty significant buy. I mean, it's a very, very heavy buy for a week. At the end of that week, you're and if it's on if your average your average viewer will have seen that ad how many times? Just, you know, ballpark it. Um, I think it probably, I think between 12 and 14 times, I would say, mm-hmm. on average. And, mo- uh, you know, I and we've worked on a number of campaigns together, and I think one of the things that, you know, w- what happens on our my end, on the media consultant side of things, you know, we'll come up with, we'll obviously come up with the the creative strategy, uh, and we'll work with the pollsters on who who you know the audience that we want to target, and then we would work with uh, a firm like Assembly to um, devise and develop a buy that would reach the voters that we are trying to communicate with. And um, now, you know, fifteen years ago. Um, you know, much of that communication would be broken out across um, primarily television and then some radio. But now, you know, obviously with the advent of um, the Internet and um, and, uh, and 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 digital media, um, uh, uh, more and more of the budget for uh, advertising is being um assigned to um buying digital media and so uh you know will i just wanted to ask you about that you know and or or laura i mean um for our listeners what what are what what's the difference between and and buying television 
um, versus coming up with a digital media plan? And what are some of the, obviously this is sort of within the last 10, 12 years, a, you know, a much, a, a, a very, a new development, but you, you know, I'm just curious, like how, how do you guys look at putting together a buy for digital versus a buy for television? Yeah, absolutely. I think one interesting thing off the, off the top is people tend to think digital means you can just flip the switch and it turns on the next day. But in fact, there's a lot more um, steps in digital than, than people may realize. Um, wh whether you're looking at um, you know, social, programmatic, direct deals, um, sizing up the audiences, um, depending on um, the, the race scope that you're looking at, um, understanding being able to uh, look at the polling data that is provided from, from either UW or the campaign, how can we translate that into digital audiences um, and then building out that, that appropriate mix? Um, that's the, the planning stage. And then the, the trafficking and, and, and tracking and reporting um, process can also take time in terms of QAing the, the different assets, um, the creative deliverables in digital, you know, are, are more nuanced and detailed than uh, just a video traffic to television or an audio spot traffic to terrestrial radio. You need to look at um, CTAs and copy that can accompany video on Facebook or on native video ads that you're running um, across uh, news, news oriented websites as an example. Um, and then there's also a lot of uh, approval processes for election ads in digital that you need to make sure you set up time for um, getting disclaimers approved on Facebook so that um, folks that see the ads know who, who paid for them. Um, the election process with Google um, for a similar um, disclaimer of ensuring that all the proper um, reporting and disclosures are, are being communicated. So there's actually a lot of, of different um, steps in digital than, than one may realize um, to, to start when you when you initially plan, uh, but obviously it's a very important part of the mix. Um, the the trends in in consumption um, show that you you need to have a balanced plan across television and digital. And even when you're buying two thousand points, like we were talking about earlier in television, um, ultimately your your reach is being capped against the overall voter universe. Since not all voters are watching linear TV, you're going to be hitting people that watch linear TV. 12 to 14 times a week, like Laura was indicating. Uh, but you need to make sure that those that are not consuming television are also seeing your ads. And those that are seeing you on TV are also seeing uh, your messages across social um, when they're, they're searching the latest news online. And so overall, it's, it's a much more involved process than, than you may think initially um, and can take a little bit more time. But once you're set up, obviously, then you have the ability to learn in real time, uh, make a... Uh, message improvements in real time, look at um, what audiences are responding to different, uh, different ads um, and what kind of tactics, um, whether it's um, looking at data-driven tactics, um, matching to, to voter audiences or contextual tactics, knowing that um, certain audiences that you're looking to reach uh, within the voter universe are consuming um, those, those areas of, of, um, of the internet. 
So what are the advantages to advertising on TV versus the advantages of advertising on digital? And I really actually was curious about the targeting that you're able to do with digital versus the targeting you can do with television. And now now with the growth of um, addressable TV on cable systems, it's it's uh, we're, we're being able to do a little more of a like a sort of a direct mail type advertising targeting. But could you talk a little bit about that, um, and and uh, either you or Laura? Yeah, I can, I can, I can answer that. So, um, the targeting you can do on traditional linear TV is is still limited. Um, there are addressable capabilities, but those as well are limited, and and it's very expensive to buy media mm-hmm. that way. Um, and then same thing on the on the radio side. There, you know, with iHeart, they'll do. They have sort of an addressable execution of their terrestrial radio, um, and they're the only ones really doing that so far. Although you know, they have about sixty percent of all the radio stations in the country. Um, but yeah, that that additional targeting that we traditionally look for, especially with political, that's where we bring in those digital extensions of the TV into the digital video as well as digital audio, and we can layer on all that additional targeting that is needed. Uh, Both of you guys worked on, oh, Will, did you want to add to that? Sure, yeah, I was just going to add on on the digital side, you know what, and and this is now extending, like Laura said, into um, addressable OTT and now audio, is being able and, and, to and just uh, break that, just when you use the term addressable and you use the term OTT for our listeners, Addressable means addressable means ba- being able to to basically do an audience based buy, um, where typically before it's 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 based on on programming um, and and overall uh, demos like eighteen to forty nine, twenty five to fifty four. Uh, when you're looking at an audience based buy, um, that means you can leverage uh, data like voter file targeting and registration data. Um, historical voting behavior. So that's where it's been really exciting to see um, both in OTT and digital audio and, and digital is we, we know overall that um, you know, not, not many folks actually end up voting. So when you're able to actually layer on your, your media targeting by voter registration and, and previous voting behavior, you're reaching those those key voting audiences that you need you need to raise awareness with and, and move favorability with one to one in some cases or matching to the households that include uh, those um, those voters and their historical voting behavior. So that's where it gets really um, addressable and exciting across the digital side is you can really really get focused on on reaching voters rather than just buying mass um, demographics in television. And of course, you can optimize your programming and find, you know, news and other areas that, you know, voters are highly engaged um, with. And you would do that primarily by buying um, the uh, you you could also uh, for television when you're buying, you know, there's a I think for folks to know there's a there's a difference between buying broadcast and buying cable systems and um when you buy a cable system, you can, you can, you can, you guys would, you know, if we said, Hey, look, we are trying to reach, um, women over 50, 
uh, who are, um, you know, uh, reliable Democratic primary voters, then you're able to, with your um, uh, research, determine those shows that would be the best place for us to purchase on a cable system, right? Yeah, I mean, so the cable networks are a lot more niche in their targeting. So mm-hmm. um, as opposed to if you if you wanted to reach those same females and you wanted to reach them on ABC, which is a broadcast station, we could also pull research that will show you which, which programs index the highest. But of course, that's going to be a much broader reach. Um, right. And it's with, with the cable networks that you can, you can fine tune your targeting a little bit um, even before doing it addressably. Right. Um, and uh, both of you all worked on Bloomberg's campaign. How was that experience? Tell, tell us about that. I mean, it was such a, a massive um, enterprise that was put together relatively quickly. Um, and you all spent, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars across multiple different types of platforms. Um, how was that? I mean, that must have been you must have got you guys must have been like kids in candy store, right? <laughs> I mean, it was a whirlwind, just to be honest, like it was a, a three month whirlwind. Um, and it started with us getting a call on a Friday, like we have to do this. And it was within a week or a week and a half, we had to be up on air in 99 media markets. Um, and we had to quickly ramp up with staff. I had to find buyers all over the country who were immediately available, experienced. Um, not all of them had ever done political buying, which is a little nuanced compared to traditional media buying. So we had to train them on that as well. So it was it was a Herculean effort just getting it ramped up, but we did it. And then for the three months, yes. It, and it was a little bit like kids in a candy store because um, – even though we were very careful with um, how the money was spent and 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 how we negotiated, you I mean you you were talking to every vendor um, selling all different kinds of media that we you normally don't have the budget for. So it was it was really interesting in that respect, and it was a it was a very exciting um, campaign to work on as well. It was just you know um, massive, like you said, like nothing that's ever been done before. And I think well, what, what was, was really interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, like, like Laura mentioned, it came through on a Friday afternoon um, in November um, that, you know, Mike was looking to get into the race. And so um, we had this very aggressive strategy um, being a late entry into the primary season to really um, ramp up to Super Tuesday. So that's where the recruitment across the country occurred, scaling up in the 28 states um, that held primaries on Super Tuesday and that initial uh, large TV buy um, to kick off his campaign in November um, came together um, within a matter of a week or so. And from there, you know, we, we thought, you know, the campaign kind of had it from there. You know, we helped them launch this, this massive ad buy, get Mike into the spotlight. Um, but then very quickly, um, we, we learned that the campaign, you know, had, had brought together an in-house team and they needed help um, scaling a full, uh, full channel media buy. Um, and building it from the bottom up across, um, we started with initially 12 different cuts of, of voter file audiences across the, demo, uh, the Democratic uh, voter landscape and ended up building uh, discrete cross-channel media plans uh, specifically tailored uh, to those different cohorts, uh, especially um, African-American voters, millennial voters, uh, Latinx voters, um, everything was built up from the ground up and ended up being um, 
completely cross channel um, and ended up being uh, at the campaign um, every single day. And of course, this is pre-COVID, so we're all um, huddled, you know, 200 people on one floor um, every single day going um, through the buys, um, taking requests from states teams in real time, adding stations, um, mixing different audiences, updating budgets. It became this, as Laura said, just a whirlwind, but um, it was just, it, it felt like a general election campaign. A lot of the people, um, the political operatives we worked with day to day, and some of them are now working on Biden's campaign. You know, that was, that was the sort of urgency of the campaign from the start, um, was just since we were up against the, the clock so much um, to catch up with um, all the other candidates who had entered early. And really the, the impetus of, of my gain into the race too was, was to put urgency on defeating Donald Trump. And it felt like at the time, a lot of um, the conversation in the Democratic primary was about whose health care plan could, could get sold through and not who could beat Donald Trump. And so there was a huge effort around um, specifically anti-Trump, both national and local battleground media plans, um, working with, with multiple campaign creative strategists on uh, the proper messaging to um, emphasize. Um, we came up with uh, national Fox News buys to troll Trump, um, getting him to tweet about us, um, which was like a, a really fun, fun KPI um, as, as we were uh, going down that anti-Trump path. Um, but it was really just just the way that it evolved over time and we became um, integrated into the campaign day to day was was a really um, unique and extraordinary experience and and something that, you know, yeah, Laura and I will always cherish and we feel like we've, we're still in that fight now, um, that our fight to, to um, elect Democrats um, down the ballot and also remove Donald Trump never really ended. Um, even when Mike Bloomberg's campaign ended, um, since we really were in that mentality of of winning in November, um, since since this past November, how has the coronavirus impacted media consumption, and how has it impacted what you all do? Well, I mean, in terms of media consumption, immediately we obviously saw a spike in news consumption like everyone was watching news everyone needed news 24 hours a day so that was across broadcast cable news networks everywhere um that's come down a little bit from that initial spike in in april you know march april um but the news consumption is still up you know news viewership is up people are still wanting to stay informed especially you know things keep evolving with the pandemic and you know everyone wants to know what's going on with their schools and and what's happening with the elections so um definitely that's still a trend um overall daytime viewership's up people are home still um many states people are still all working from home kids are home so uh, daytime viewership has definitely seen an increase um Obviously, the primetime viewership has gone down because there just isn't as much available new fresh prime programming. Productions have have halted or stalled. So so that's still and even what's going to come back on the fall is still a little um, to be determined. we have seen, obviously, you know, some sports have come back. So the, the viewership is going there immediately. People are just like craving their sports, their teams. They don't care what it is. They, they want to watch sports. So um, that's obviously seen some ratings. Um, but in terms of overall media consumption, we have also seen um, 
you know, more OTT, you know, people looking to their, their Hulu and their, you know, all their streaming services. Um, that's increased with also people being home more. Um, audio streaming has increased because people are listening at while they're working at home to their smart speakers, what have you. Um, but on the flip side, uh, the radio, tr- traditional radio um, has seen a downswing. Obviously, people are not driving to work as much. And that's traditionally where you're getting the most listenership is when you're in the car commuting and with people not commuting as much, um, that's that's seen a downtrend there. And, and I wanted to... Um ask you, uh, you know, how, how have you, how has the industry adapted to the rise of DVRs, um, OTT media services and other disruptors of, of traditional media, of traditional television? Well, I mean, with the DVR viewing, um, we tend to look at our, when we buy Nielsen ratings, we look at ratings that capture live or same day viewing. So we're not um, knowing that, you know, if someone's watching something they recorded seven days later, they're, they're not, they're not watching the commercials. They're going to zip right through them. Right. So, so we don't, we don't count those ratings. Those ratings are super inflated. Um, but we're going to look at ratings for someone who watched programs live or if they pause it, like, you know, to go get a snack or whatever, um, that's considered live plus same day. So it's, that's, that's the viewership we're looking at. And then, um, that being said, you know, there's, there's obviously more of an inclination to, to watch programming live, like a, a sporting event or news or things like that is not as effective by DVR viewing. So that's why, you know, you always want to make sure your buy is, 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 you know, including all these different day parts where um, maybe there's time shift to viewing, but there's also live viewing. Um, and then, you know, we always approach our TV buys more as video buys. So we buy it holistically across both linear and digital because um, we know there's that, oh, that OTT viewership, um, you know, and we look at this on a market by market or state by state basis, because, you know, there, there's the cord cutters are higher in some areas than, than others, depending on, you know, how, uh, how much cable penetration they have, or just different other factors within each market. So we're always looking like our, our TV buys, we call them video buys, because it's, it's not just the linear traditional broadcast cable TV, it's, it's going to also include that OTT. Yeah, and you mentioned Nielsen. Are they still considered the gold standard to measure TV viewership? Yeah, they really are. Um, and, you know, Nielsen has done um, a lot of work over the past few years to improve their methodology. Um, you know, they, they got rid of the old paper diary, which, you know, obviously no one no one does it anymore. No one's going to accurately um, account for viewership by writing down, yes, I watched this channel for five minutes and then I switched to this one for five minutes. So they've done away with that. Every market now in the country gets a, a monthly measurement. Um, so you're not waiting six months to see how that, you know, um, football game did. You're, you're seeing everything on a monthly basis in real time or more so in real time than we ever did. And then even with the, the top, their top markets, their top 25 markets, um, they've added out of home viewing to their ratings. So knowing that people are not just watching in their living room anymore, maybe they're, you know, gather pre COVID, uh, gathering, you know, at a friend's house to watch a game or they're at a bar watching something or anywhere, you know, so they're, they're capturing that out of home 
viewing with um, portable people meters. So I, I think Nielsen is is doing their best to to keep up because um, you know over the years there has been that question: is is this still the gold standard? But I I still think it is. I mean, it's it's what we use. It's what we we go by. It's what most of the stations still still hold true to Nielsen. And and they what what they'll do is so they'll go to the you know every market and then. Um, they will provide the uh, people meters to some percentage of mm-hmm. households. Is that that sort of how it like that's sort of how it yeah. works, right? Yeah, yeah they have uh, people who volunteer to be part of the the survey. So yeah, they'll they'll deliver. It's almost like a little beeper that mm-hmm. they keep on their body and they, as they walk around. So it'll pick up any out of home viewing that they come in contact with throughout the day. And are they able to track? content consumed on, you know, your desktop computer? Yes, but that, um, yes, they are, but that's a separate area of measurement from the Mm -hmm. traditional TV measurement. Right. But they, but that's another, but they will track media consumption through other screens. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. A lot of that is, is tracked nationally. So when we're, we're looking at um, local races um, and, and using Nielsen for insights and digital. It's it's a little bit of a proxy in terms of the sizing, uh, but but Nielsen has done a good job of building out their their separate measurement across almost every channel and website that you could think of on a national level, and building out audiences and being able to see uh, the cross tabs in digital as well. Okay, my last question for you guys. Um... What are some emerging trends that you're seeing in the industry that make you really excited about the future media buying? And um, you mentioned, I think earlier, Will, addressable TV in terms of being able to specifically target um, individuals and serve them ads. But I'm curious, like, what are you seeing? What what should we be looking at? What should we be excited about? Yeah, so I I think you may have heard this a lot about COVID, um, and it holds very true in media as well, that a lot of the trends in digital that have been occurring over the past year have really just been solidified and accelerated. Um, so, so in media, I mean, it's it's a lot of mobile, it's a lot of streaming and gaming, and TikTok really is been a revolutionary um, platform for um, cross generational um, content uh, creation and consumption. Um, with everyone stuck at home, you, you can learn you can learn how to golf um, by following people on TikTok. Uh, politicians are even getting on TikTok, even though there's a, uh, you know, there, there's no ability to advertise. Uh, but if, if you want to create your own TikTok and, and start reaching voters, um, you know, Ed Markey, for example, uh, you know, 74 year old running for Senate, uh, is, is building out a TikTok page and already has 30, 40,000 followers uh, hmm. in the last week, week or two. So it's, it's really that, um, I think what's for me exciting and, and why TikTok is so revolutionary is that ability to kind of be authentically, whether um, I mean, previously, you know, YouTube, it was all these kind of high produced influencers and content that didn't really feel as authentic. TikTok and everyone being stuck at home, you're seeing real people in their real environments and you're having that that personal relationship through technology um, and the authenticity to, to be able to connect one to one, um, and being able to really bring humanity back, um, to digital. When I think a lot before COVID, it, it was starting to feel more pre-produced and vapid, 
um, and, and not real. Um, and with this emergence of being able to, to broadcast live, um, to feel like you're in, in someone else's home and understand who they are as a person, um, because we all are in this together, COVID has really brought humanity back and the technology is, was already there for us to continue to, to connect at, at a more authentic level. Uh, Laura, any thoughts uh, on your end that you're, what, things that you might be excited about? Yeah, I mean, just going back to what we touched upon before was that, you know, TV, traditional TV buying is, and radio, is is sort of, the trend we're seeing is moving slowly, but moving towards a more audience-based buying approach. And just, not just politicians, but advertisers in general are just seeing that need to have that more one-to-one um, connection. And we get that with addressable TV, but we're see we're slowly seeing like with what I mentioned about iHeart and, and their offering, we're seeing these traditional um, media lens media owners um, kind of finding ways to get more of that audience based targeting, and that's I think we're going to see that more and more. Well, what do you think of Reels? Have you had a chance to play around with that? You know, yes, I have seen it. It looks like they may have you know found some celebrities to really push that. Um, it's, it's, it, it's great. I mean, they, it, it looks a lot like, like what, what they were able to do with stories on, on, on Snapchat and replicating that and really taking off. Um, and, and time will tell if, if there's, there's space, um, for reels and TikTok. I know TikTok has a very, very loyal following. Um, the, the creators and the audiences on the platform, um, have, have been there since, since day one. And so it'll, it'll be very interesting to see, but it's, it's definitely part of, you know, the, the trends continue to be accentuated and that ability to um, sort of create um, and consume in a more interactive way um, is just you're going to see more and more of that from other companies as well. And overall, another thing exciting that that I'm really interested in is, you know, with 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 the current climate that cause marketing, you know, whether it's Black Lives Matter um, or uh body empowerment or, or, or rallying around causes like anti-bullying, you know, those, those things now are more important than ever. Um, and, and media is allowing, um, brands to have conversations about that, um, with, within these, within these digital platforms, whenever, when everyone's able to, to connect. Laura Kalapalil, Will Floor from Assembly. Thank you guys for coming on The Electables. This has been great. A uh, little media buying 101 for our listeners. Maybe even a little bit of a 201 class too, I guess. <laughs> um, thank you guys for coming on. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks for having us, Doug. For my producer, Michael Peliquin, who is, uh, my estimation, I'm biased, but uh, one of the best podcast producers in the business, uh, this is Doug Thornell, and this has been another edition of The Electables. Uh, if you're interested in launching your own podcast uh, or video series, reach out to Michael. He can be very helpful and be uh, a, a, a great partner. Uh, you can reach him at michael at airsnext.com. Um, they put together um, a great podcasts, and they're great partners to help you um, create um what you're trying to create. So talk to Michael. Um, And uh, we will be back 
uh, next week um, with uh, another episode of The Electables. And hope maybe by then we'll have the uh, VP pick to talk about. But, uh, Michael, uh, as always, have a great weekend, my friend. You too. Enjoyed it. And we will be signing off, and we'll talk to you all uh, next week. <laughs>